0: Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. Looking at the, what beatitude are we on? Third, fourth, fourth beatitude tonight. I had to remember myself. Um, so we've been obviously walking through these one week at a time. I really want to go slower just so we get the full content understanding of, of what needs to take place. Uh, I was talking to Justin a little bit today. He missed last week, so I think I need to do an overextensive review of last week for his sake and the others that might have missed it, um, no, I won't do that. Um, but anyway, uh, Matthew chapter five, we talked a little bit, if you remember, if those were here watching online, we talked about a little bit about the self-righteousness. Remember that with the uh, the Pharisees? You might be a Pharisee if... Um, I don't want to go back and review that, but I want to look at a different aspect of that because when you study the Sermon on the Mount, and I think I said this the very first week, that the overarching theme or the central theme is really found in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about what true righteousness is all about versus that self-righteousness of the Pharisees' religious leaders of the day. And really, many of us struggle with a self-righteous attitude. I'm going to ask some questions concerning that in just a minute, but let me kind of go back here. When do you feel the most satisfied in life? Let's start there. When do you feel the most satisfied in life? Jocelyn? After you just ate a big meal. You sure that satisfaction? Satisfaction? Whatever? Satisfaction? Satisfying? Yeah, whatever. Whatever the word is. Okay, what else? When do you feel the most satisfied in life? Yes, Violet. Speak up. Sorry. Decorating lockers. Okay, all right. You can help with that. Julie? When you're getting bit by crabs? No. Okay. Oh, when things you plan actually goes the way it's supposed to go, and you know the plan—that's always important. Yes, Amelia. Finishing a, big Finishing a big project. Yes, that's good. What else, Logan? No, just scratching your beard. Okay, Jason. Yeah, accomplishing something you've been working on. What else, Ryan? We'll go down the line, I guess.
1: <laughs> All right. When you finish reading one
0: the 19,000. Sounds like me with my, you know, over-exaggeration of how many churches are in Decatur every time it gets larger. One and turn and skip one. I, uh, <laughs> don't you love it? <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. Aaron, do you have your hand up? Yeah. Does it have to just cleaning? Yes. Yeah, so I thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I hear you. As long as there's something to look at instead of just like cutting weeds, like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Look at all that dirt. No, I, I hear you on that. Yes. Kevin, did you have something? Uh, uh, not, missing when not missing when you're shooting. Cadence, did you have something too? Good oh, on the line? What was it? Cleaning, cutting grass? No, not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Finishing a 19,000 page book? After eating. After eating. Projects? No. Okay. Okay. All right. Ethan? Whenever you finish a cello performance? Is that what you said? A viola performance. Gotcha. Michael? Going to sleep without setting an alarm. Going to sleep without setting an alarm for the next day. How often does that happen, Christina, for him? Daily. He is satisfied in life. He is content. Life is great. <laughs> Justin, getting packages from Whataburger? No, what a store. What a store, not whataburger. He is a walking what a billboard. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool cup. Um all right, let's let's continue on. Um who are the grouchy people tonight? Raise your hand. Okay. Alright, very good. Okay, okay. Yeah, stand up. There's a reason. You know, we got out of hand last week, and I can already sense that it's going to go out of hand again tonight. Why do we often get so grouchy? People don't do what they should, Christina. Put too much on our plate. What? You don't feel accomplished? Kids? That's why you're grouchy? You have kids? Oh. Oh, he said kids. Oh, well. Michael Jissom? Oh, well. She's in church. She's trying to be nice. Anyway, because you're tired? Yeah. Ethan? Oh, yeah, that, I, that would make me grouchy. Justin, have you ever been grouching in your life when you haven't eaten at a certain time? What? Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, the reason I said that, because that kind of goes with the lesson tonight. How many have ever been hangry? Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Again, aren't you glad you came tonight? Uh, we're gonna go somewhere with this, I promise you. Okay, so, in your opinion, what is a good definition of someone that is angry? Mary, Christina, whatever one of you guys that. My mom. Your mom? I mean, your you're yeah. a walking billboard of a hangry person. Yeah. But for someone who doesn't know, like, they're like, oh yeah, Christina, she's hangry. What, what does that mean? Need food. You need food. Okay. Yeah. okay. Doesn't care where from. It is a Snickers commercial. Yes. Yeah, don't be a Betty White or whatever those things were. Yeah, exactly. Julie? Your dad has to eat bread every four hours or else he gets hangry. But what What does hangry mean to you? I mean, My dad more than. He doesn't eat bread <laughs> You don't want to be around that person? Okay. Jocelyn? Never mind, Marcus. Just rubbing the head. Oh, and then you get you get you get get very hangry. So here is a actually proper definition outside of someone's name uh, of hangry. It means bad-tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. And I know we can now, oh, yeah, that's this person, that's this person, whatever. All right. You can deal with that. So he does not come home angry. That's good. Take notes. Just kidding. Just, kidding. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Take notes what not to do. Okay. Um, that's a great idea. It's actually shaded, so... I'll jump in the pool. <laughs> uh, we're getting out of hand. I don't know why this happens so often. It's my own fault. Bad tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. So what we're talking about tonight is not necessarily those that are hangry. Verse number six says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, all of us have been hungry at times in our life. Carmen, were you one of those angry people? Okay. Why do you get hungry? Yeah, because you need food. Yeah, that's yeah. All right, again, I'm gonna get myself in trouble again, so I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go there. Amanda, I love you. Please forgive me for living. Um, in this verse, so let's try to get serious now. In this verse, it says, "Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness." For they shall be filled. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples that the only way to be filled is not hungering for more food. Now, we think, obviously, if I'm not going to be hungry, then I need to eat, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. As Christians today, we must realize that nothing in this life will ever satisfy. Because how many that have ever eaten need to eat in another four hours, or six hours, or eight hours? because you're satisfied for that time, but then comes a point where you have to eat again, right? Whether it's four, two, six hours, whatever it is. And the same is true in life. So many people, it's not even after food. It's not chasing after food. They are chasing after things that they think will satisfy, but in reality, does it? No, it doesn't. Because what we are learning here is that nothing truly satisfies apart from Jesus Christ. All of these Beatitudes flow from one another. But it seems that as we approach this fourth one, there's almost a transition from a negative aspect to a positive aspect. The fourth beatitude really is kind of looking past the examination, but also looking towards a solution. You know, last week I gave some of those principles of, you know, you might be a Pharisee, if, and we're going to talk more about Pharisaical lifestyles uh, in the next couple of weeks, because really, again, Jesus is trying to teach what true righteousness is all about versus self-righteousness. But before we really dig into this, I think it's in your notes. Uh, I came across the blog and I, I kind of incorporated some of my own thoughts in this. But it was a couple of things and it said, how can you spot if you are self-righteous? So I want you to take notes of this if you are taking notes tonight. How can you spot if you yourself are self-righteous? This kind of goes from the passage in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, where we, we talked about last week where the Pharisee, uh, was basically praying, I am thank you, thankful, Lord, that I'm not like everyone else, that I'm not like this sinner over here. And then you got the, uh, the, the, the publican, the, the tax collector that's, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need you. But how can you spot that you yourself are self-righteous? Number one, you look down on people. And again, many of us could probably put ourselves in this equation, because as I was looking at this and kind of studying it, I realized how guilty I am of this and many others in my own life. You look down on people. Look, you know you're not perfect, but you also know you're not as bad as someone else, right? I mean, again, honestly here, who hasn't been there? It's very easy for us to do that, right? We look at our own life knowing we have problems, but then we look at someone else like Orion and know he has a lot more problems than we have. <laughs> so again, then it makes us feel better about our situation. But again, it's very easy to look down on someone else because, hey, I'm not as bad as someone else. Number two, and this is good. Your prayers rarely ever contain heartfelt confession. Your prayers rarely ever contain heartfelt confession. Do we have notes for this? No, we don't. Okay. Oh, he's adding it right now. Okay. Um, I can't remember what the blanks are for this, but um, I think you'll get them. Your prayers rarely ever contain heartfelt confession. Now this back... No, I mean, I don't I need don't it. Thank you. I don't think it was in the notes that, that were, were made tonight. That's, that's, that's the point. Um, this goes back to mourning over our own sin. You know, we talked about this with the second week, that it's very important that before we get saved, yes, we are uh, mourning sorrowful over our sin, but really the same is true once we're saved, not enjoying the sin that we do, but realizing that the sin that we commit is a grievance to a holy God and understanding that we have hurt him, that we have upset him, But look at this. Oftentimes, our prayers are more of a list of, God, what can you do for me? Aren't they? God, here's my demands. Now I want you to meet them. And again, I've been guilty of this. There are many times in my life where I'm not necessarily praying with that heartfelt, personal confession to God, because in my mind, I'm not that bad. And in your mind, you're not that bad. But here's the reality. Most of us aren't here at all because Look, how can we expect to be honest with God? Listen to this. When most honest or when when most often we aren't even honest with ourselves or honest with others about how we're doing and the struggles that we have. So many times we're not even honest with God. Number three, we loathe in our own (laughs) self-pity. We loathe in our own self-pity. Now this tends to have the attitude that we believe we deserve a better life, right? I deserve one because I'm a Texan, or I'm an American, or I'm this, or I'm that. I deserve whatever, fill in the blank. So what happens sometimes is we start feeling sorry for ourselves, right? We believe somehow that God owes us something because he is blessed to have us as his child. Like sometimes my kids think they deserve something because they are blessed that I am their father, or they are my child, or something like that. Number four, and this is is really cutting deep as well. When challenged about your own personal disobedience or apathy, you get defensive. So this goes to the side of, of sometimes counseling with someone, an individual. You know, why, why self-examine our own heart? It's easier to get defensive and criticize those who even dare to rebuke us, right? Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What, what gives you the right? I mean, how many have ever thought that? Anybody? All right, we've got a couple of honest people. Good. I've been there. When someone has tried to help me, and all I think of, who do you think you are? You self-righteous, you know, snob, whatever. whatever?" Again, anybody honest tonight? Yeah, we've been there. But really, it's showing our own self-righteousness that I'm above anyone else's help. I don't need anyone else's help. I got it all figured out. So how dare someone else even challenge my own personal disobedience or even apathy so I'm going to get defensive? You know, when someone tries to help us, we often look at them as being more self-righteous than we are. And number five, and this is this is cutting deep as well, we're less committed to God than we like to admit. We're less committed to God than we like to admit. Now, church attendance is important. It, it, it necessarily isn't the metric of a righteous individual or a growing Christian. But listen to this, continued absence from church, more than I'm talking about Okay, we go on vacation, everyone misses in the summer, I get that. But I'm talking about a continued absence from church, from the things of God, is a sign of where our commitment lies, isn't it? And again, this cuts deep. Look, Jesus didn't save us, and I've said this many times, but Jesus didn't save us to live lives for ourselves. He didn't save us by his grace to use it as an excuse not to serve him, not to obey him not to come learn more about him. Well, I mean, I went to Sunday school for 20-some years, so I know everything about the Bible. That's good, but there's still more to learn. And even if you know it all, there's a good chance you're not living it. Because here's my problem, maybe it's yours as well. The things that I know I should do, kind of like Paul, I usually don't do them. Or the things that I know that I've learned, I don't apply. Anybody with me there? Yes. So that's why we need the continual guidance and help understanding. Um, kind of with this, and it kind of flows from all of them, but uh, Tim Keller, he has a story of a woman who told him that his preaching on God's grace was very frightening. When he asked why, she said, she told him that it was because if, if she was saved by her works, meaning her own self-righteousness, then there was a limit to what God could ask of her. Their relationship was then like a bargain. But if she was saved solely by his grace alone, through faith alone, then there was no limit to what God could ask. In love, she owed him everything. So in understanding that she was saved by grace, I didn't deserve it. I owe him everything. But if she's thinking that she's saved by her own self-righteousness, there's a limit of what God could ask of me. And I think that's where many of us get to. God, there's a limit of what I am willing to do. There's a limit of where I'm willing to go. There's a limit of how I'm willing to serve. But that's a self-righteous attitude towards Christianity. Instead of understanding that we are saved by grace, and because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, he deserves unlimited praise, unlimited love, unlimited devotion because of what he has done for us. Again, all of this being said, it's counterintuitive. It's hard to really get people to live on mission because we have been so indoctrinated against the Bible. Again, look around in the culture, look at uh, some of the things that are being taught in, in schools, whether it be Christian schools sometimes even, or, or public schools. The indoctrination is there, trying to teach things that are counterintuitive to the scriptures. And this is something I deal with as a pastor a lot when someone comes in, or when someone counsels uh, with myself, or I counsel with them, um, you know, they're talking about things. A lot of times, as I'm listening to the conversation, I'm listening to what's coming out of their mouth, I can tell if they're ready to receive God's word or not. Here's what I mean. If they're so indoctrinated with the world's terminology and they're saying things that are more worldly minded in the sense of, um, try to say this in the right way, you know, accepting everyone, not not saying we shouldn't have people come to our church that believe different things, but accepting without trying to get them to change. Does That make sense? You know, when I talk to people like that, I can tell if they're truly going to listen to God's word or not. And people are like, well, we should accept everyone, yes, but we should also teach them the truth of God's word, right? And the truth of God's word, doesn't it go counterculture? It does. So that's why we have to know what we believe, why we believe it. Again, people read this verse, verse six or any verse, and we flip it around. You know, they think the goal is to hunger for blessings or uh, hunger for happiness, Now, the pursuit of happiness is what we long for. It's it's in our Declaration of Independence. We want to be happy. We long to be happy. We desire to be happy. We search for happiness, but the problem is we can never fully find it, can we? Because if you find happiness, you know what's going to happen? Tomorrow, you're going to try to find happiness again because you need it, because there's something else that's missing. I finally got this that I've always been wanting. I'm happy. Two hours later, I'm not happy anymore. That's me every time I go to the store and buy something. I bring it home. Why did I buy that? that was pretty foolish. And then instead of taking it back or sending it back, it's in my closet for years. And then after about a year or two, I go through a big, you know, bag and throw everything away that I should have taken back because I thought it was going to make me happy and it didn't. Happiness does not come by the things we pursue. It comes from something else. According to the Bible, happiness is never found or never, sorry, it's never something that should be sought directly it is always something that results from seeking something else. So this is where the Sermon on the Mount is talking about. What Jesus was teaching, please listen, wasn't a list of add-ons to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. It was a lifestyle change that goes contrary to the world's kingdom and points us toward what true kingdom lifestyle should look like in a believer. Now, I'm not trying to, to step on anyone's toes tonight with this. This is kind of, you know, thinking about what's happened in the past year and a half in our culture. Uh, obviously, our government has given out a lot of money, you know, trillions of dollars with these stimuluses. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I, I'm not thankful for, for that. I know it's going to affect us. But here here's the thing. If someone, let's say someone was, I mean, just, I mean, dirt poor, couldn't afford anything. All of a sudden, they got handed like $25,000 is it immediately just gonna change everything about them? No, no, they might go and and buy a bunch of stuff, but if they don't know properly how to use the money, you know what, there's a good chance in two months they're gonna be right back in the same position. So did they really change because they got more money? No, you know what needs to change in that situation? A behavioral change. And that's that's the problem in our country, and I'm not even about finances, that's the problem in our country. People need a behavioral change. They need a heart change. They need an attitude change, and that's really the Sermon on the Mount. It's going deep, it's cutting deep. Jesus is trying to fix issues that are deeper than, you know, I need some extra money, you know, for this week. That's more than that. He's trying to set us up for spiritual success, a life that thrives and doesn't merely survive. And as I've said every week almost, that real life begins at the end of ourselves. It begins when we receive and not try to achieve our own identity. It comes when we realize that. I am nothing without him, that I have to come to the end of myself and realize that every week, without God, I am nothing. You know, when you think about hunger and starving in this verse, and we're going to jump into it, but, you know, we we often think of different things. You know, sometimes right now, you're probably just, you're going to think the whole message, like I can't wait to go home and eat, or I've already eaten, but I can't wait to get another snack, or I can't wait for more bread, or whatever it is. But here's a... Here's a couple truths about hunger before we make this application. Hunger is not an emotion. It's a drive. Hunger is a God-given thing, which indicates a need for substance. Hunger will not go away unless the drive is satisfied, right? You can't be like, you know what? Go away, hunger. It doesn't work like that. I wish it did. Some of us that are trying to lose weight, you wish it, go away. It doesn't happen. You know, you have to satisfy it. I don't know why you guys are laughing. Anyway. Uh, you okay? Okay. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) You've been trying to do that? Go away. (laughs) It's cutting deep, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, this is awesome. This is why you came. All right. Number one, the appetite. The appetite is hunger in this verse. God placed within us a divine hunger. I'm talking about a thirst for what is Eternal. Even though man has always lived in cultures which emphasize the earthly, we know that deep inside of us, we were made for more. So there is a relentless restlessness, a longing for something more. You know, we try spending our money on things that do not satisfy. We're drinking from cisterns that hold no water. Our satisfaction is not being met in the things of this world. So what do we do? We try to satisfy ourselves even more with the things of this world with power, with money, with sex, with education, with boyfriends, girlfriends, toys, possessions, all of those things, but all of these things lead to a deeper sense of need. Is it wrong to have some of those things? No. But it, lo- it, it just leads us to a deeper longing for satisfaction because they can't fill the need that they were never created to fill. C.S. Lewis, and I love what he says, he says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. We are like an ignorant child. Anybody have an ignorant child? Raise your hand. Who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offer of a holiday at the sea. And then he ends with this, and I love this phrase. He said, we are far too easily pleased. You know, that's it. We fool around with things that often don't really satisfy, and all they do is leave us longing for more. All attempts at satisfaction and fulfillment only leave us wanting more and more and more. The need is never satisfied. Honestly, in some ways, I think of it, you know, skydiving. I've always wanted to try it. I was scared to death when I did it. Uh, I didn't get out of the plane. Man, the great, great application and illustration about that. You know, it's like the Holy Spirit's like hitting your hand. Let go of the bar. And I'm like, no, I got to hold on. So I let go of the bar and I jumped. And I mean, it was awesome. It was a rush. I got to the end and the guy's like, you want to do it again? I'm like, yeah. Because... In a sense, it's like, that was awesome, but I need to do it again, because the need wasn't satisfied. I mean, it was a cool experience. So that's what I'm talking about. We do something, whew, that's great. You, you, any, and I've used this application before. Any celebrity, any sports star that's ever won anything, what do they immediately usually say? Okay, wait till next year. You got to work hard, right? I mean, I think of Tom Brady, how many times has he won? And, and I think he even said this recently. It's like, I'm looking forward to the next ring. So for him, it's like, I'm not satisfied. I got this ring, but I'm looking forward to the next ring because the next ring is going to be better. And the next ring is going to be better. You know what? It's not. Because when does it end? I mean, he's going to play until he's like 75, but when's it going to end? (laughs) Now, the joy that is offered to us, the peace that is offered to us, the satisfaction is offered is unbelievable if we only grab hold of what Jesus is trying to teach us. You know, Psalm 42, Psalm 63 teach about this, about, you know, Psalm 43, I think it's, or 42, it's about the The heart, the deer that is panting for the water, you know, needs that to fill it up. You know, I think a perfect example in the Bible is the prodigal son, thinking he needed that lifestyle of everything. Give me everything that is owed to me. He went out and lived. What now? I guess I spent it all. What do I need now? What, What do I do now? You know, a good appetite usually relates to good health. A poor appetite means something is probably wrong. So you think of it this way. When you're sick, you don't often have much of an appetite, right? I mean, it's a great way to lose weight, Marcus, okay? Uh, get sick. Um, I don't know, Is that the last laugh uh, sorry. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but when you're sick, you typically don't have an appetite. You're not going to the buffet like Golden Corral, like, all right, let's go eat everything. No, it doesn't happen. Uh, you're sick, you don't have an appetite. Food doesn't look good, especially if you've been throwing up. Why? Now, let me give you a medical reason. Because you're sick, it means something is wrong. That's my medical definition, I know. Michael's back there, I was like, wow. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it should have been a gif. <laughs> Never heard that before. Um, when you're sick, it means something's wrong, right? Now, we understand that about sickness. There's not a desire to eat. You're not very hungry. But listen, what does it say about your spiritual condition when you aren't hungering and thirsting for the things of God? If you're not hungering and thirsting for food, water, and life, you're sick. There is something wrong with you. It's not natural to go without food for days on end unless you're trying to do that, unless you're trying to fast. No one's just like, I'm going to go without food for three weeks and everything's going to be good. Good luck. It's not going to happen. But again, and this is is where it comes into, and this is what Jesus is digging deep with. Just as we are hungering and thirsting for food, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, true righteousness. What does it say about you? These are deep questions that we can't answer necessarily out loud, but you have to answer to yourself. What does it say about you when church has become more of a chore or an afterthought? What does it say about you when you're not in your Bible and seeking after God to grow? What does it reveal about your appetite for God? Here's the principle, and get this down if you are taking notes. The kind of appetite we have reveals our character. And I'm talking about the spiritual appetite. The kind of appetite we have reveals our character. Again, the truth is that if you don't have an appetite, you're either sick or dead. So if you don't have an appetite for the things of God, you are either a sick Christian or a dying Christian. That's the truth. Let's go on. We move on from the appetite of hunger. The aim is righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Again, Matthew five seventeen through 20 is the key to it all. Matthew five twenty says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, a powerful testimony of what true righteousness looks like. The religious leaders had an artificial external righteousness based on what? The law trying to uphold the law, trying to live for the law. The Pharisees were concerned about minute details of conduct, but they neglected major matters of character. But conduct flows out of character. Really, if you think about it on a deeper scale, think about self-righteousness, some synonyms are this. It's that holier-than-thou attitude. And I'm sure everyone in here can think of an individual that is holier-than-thou. But many of us are that individual. It's that smug pious, superior, hypocritical individual. But righteousness, really, when you think about it, means to be right with God and to live right with man. Hungering and thirsting for this type of righteousness is about having an insatiable appetite, an intense longing to be what? To be conformed to the image of God. Not this world, but God and his son. But Without Jesus as the center of your life, and desires and appetites, you'll starve. Without him, you will thirst and never be able to quench it. And I've seen many people over the years that are hungering and thirsting, but they're thirsting and hungering after the wrong things. And they're trying to fill the void. And then they try the church thing and the God thing for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. It's not really working, I guess, the way it should work because I'm not like that person. Well, you're not supposed to be that person. Everyone is on their own journey. But Jesus is true righteousness. He's the one we have been hungering and thirsting for. He is the only one that can fill the emptiness inside of our lives. And he is the only one that can bring satisfaction. Which leads to the last point. The abundance of it all is satisfaction. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. I think Jocelyn was the one that said when she eats, you know, it's satisfying when she is filled, right? Now, it's not satisfying when you're overfull, Right? Not satisfying at all. That's Colin, like every day, right? I'm just kidding. He was just he was shaking his head. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we've all done that. We eat too much. Like, why did I do that? That is not a satisfying feeling, right, Marcus? I don't know why I'm picking on you tonight, but anyway, um, he's just over there. You know, he's, he's in a good spot. That's why. You know, you so see the Ryan or Marcus? It's one of these two. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Um, Uh, Where am I? I don't even know. You know what will end all wars? You know what's going to end crime in our world? It's not a new campaign or political leader or political idea. It's when people, especially in the church and Christianity, start hungering and thirsting after the only thing that will satisfy. That will end a lot of our problems. Now, the reality is it's probably not going to because we're going to keep hungering and thirsting for things that we shouldn't. Because of the sin nature that still... The, the battle between the flesh the flesh and the sin, not understanding properly that we are a saint. We have been set free from that. But the only one that can replace the void in your life and the emptiness in there is Jesus. Because at the end of the verse 6, it says, for they shall be filled. Like it's an awesome thing to be full but not stuffed. To be full but not uncomfortable. And the only this only comes when we seek him because he alone is our satisfaction. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But my hunger and thirst for righteousness doesn't end at a certain stage in life. It should only grow. And I've seen that in my life. The longing is there. The more I study God's word, the more I grow in it, the more I want study God's Word. The more I want to grow in it, but the less I study God's Word, the less I want. it. So then it reveals my character. It reveals where my appetite is. So here's the questions that I want to close with for yourself, the self-examination questions. How is your appetite tonight? How is your appetite for righteousness? How do you know if you're hungering and thirsting for what is right? Here's the truth. It is evidenced by what we consume think about it. Those that are literally trying to lose weight, you're not going to keep eating a bunch of hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza and donuts and all that kind of stuff. Ryan will, but that's typically not how you lose weight unless you go throw it up afterwards. Uh, But that's not a good thing, right? Um, I don't know why I said that. I I don't know why. Things come into my head all the time. I do. No, I haven't been struggling with that, people. I haven't. I promise. I do. Okay, so you don't stuff your body with junk. That's not how you lose weight. You eat healthy. You work out. You exercise. So that what I'm saying is, how do we know if we're hungering and thirsting for what is right? It's evidenced by what we consume. We all have a hole in the soul, so to speak, that can only be satisfied and filled by a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's what I love, Matthew 6.33, because it's a great parallel passage to Matthew 5. Verse six, where it says, but seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. I can't wait to get to that passage in several weeks. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. And then what happens? All of these things that we'll talk about in in weeks to come will be added unto you. Our our churches are full of fast food Christians, (laughs) fast food Christianity. You know, let's just gorge ourselves. Things that don't satisfy It's time that we allow the truths of God's word to change us, to grow us. It's time we allow Jesus to change our appetites and desires. So here's the honest question: What are you hungry for tonight? If your hungers and desires, listen to this, I'm, I'm done with two more statements. If your hungers and desires don't ultimately lead you back to God, then your desires are not for him, and they're probably for yourself. If your hungers and desires aren't leading you back to God, then your desires are not for Him, they're probably for yourself. The closing truth is this. Verse 6 is teaching us to delight in our longing for God and to see God satisfy you in Him.